Finally for Kevin Johnson. Ball is tipped. Johnson's got it. He's got it. He's got it. Touchdown Browns. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Club 46, driven by Bridgestone. I'm Jay Crawford. So good to be with you again. Our guest this week is a former Cleveland Browns wide receiver who made one of the more memorable plays in franchise history, at least since the rebirth, that's for sure. Former wide receiver Kevin Johnson joining us now on Club 46. Kevin, how are you? It's great to see you again. I'm great. Thanks for asking, Jay. How are you? I'm doing really well. We're going to run the gamut here. We're going to talk about your early years, your college years, and then right on through the Cleveland Browns. Um, and I'd like to go to the beginning first, but the first thing I want to do is something that I try to start with, with with every former Brown that we interview. And that's by asking you to sort of dig deep in your memory banks, Kevin. Mm -hmm. And I think I know the answer to this, but I like asking our former players, what is their indelible memory as a Cleveland Brown, the thing that stands out the most to you? And I think I know what the answer will be, but I could be wrong. I think uh, probably our first win in New Orleans. Uh, when, we, when uh, you know, we won our first game with the Hail Mary, I think that was probably one of the most memorable times in my Cleveland Browns uh, history. Uh, that, was a, that was a big moment. Looking for Kevin Johnson. Ball is tipped. Johnson's got it. He's got it. He's got it. Touchdown, Browns. And that certainly is the moment that most Browns fans would, would immediately point to, although you did have many big moments with the Browns. That one was the was the play that really sort of knocked the champagne cork out of the bottle. Um, it was great to get the team back, but to get that first win, and particularly um, that play and the importance of that play in the game, it certainly um, holds a holds a dear spot in all of us Browns fans, and and we remember that well. And we'll go through that play, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, that play uh, later on during the interview, but. Now let's go back, uh, Kevin, to the to the early years. Um, you're from New Jersey. Take us back to what it was like to be a young Kevin Johnson growing up uh, in New Jersey. What was your life like early on? Well, I grew up single parent household in, in Hamilton, New Jersey. Um, you know, young kid like any other young kid played football and basketball with the uh, goals and aspirations to one day play in the National Football League. Um, didn't really know much with a quarterback, uh, was a big Eagles fan at the time, um, big Randall Cunningham fan. And, uh, you know, as time went on, you know, I got recruited by a ton of colleges to play quarterback. And, uh, you know, I thought I was the next coming of a Randall Cunningham. Uh, and uh, things were great. Went on to Syracuse and, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it, was, it was good until, you know, I, I arrived at the same time as a Donovan McNabb. And, uh, I was forced to transition to wide receiver, so it, it, it was it was a pretty up and ups and downs, but a lot of a lot of adversity, but uh, everything seemed to work out really well. Growing up in a single family home um, had to be a challenge, I'm sure. How was it, Kevin, that you were introduced to sports? How did that happen? It's just natural growing up in the area. You know, everyone everyone in the, in, in the neighborhood played football and basketball. That was just that was just what everyone did. I think, um, you know, you, you didn't, I didn't really have many role models growing up as far as, you know, going on to college. And in fact, I was the first person in my family to go to college. And 
So that was that was a pretty big deal. And not only did I go to college, I graduated. So, you know, we didn't have, you know, you know, many role models who went on and played college football or whatever. So but you play you play football in the streets, you play Pop Warner. And um, that, that was that was the thing to do. How many siblings did you have, Kevin? Uh, two sisters and one brother. So, uh, you know, everyone I was the youngest. So everyone just supported me in everything I did and, and helped me along the way. So you had an older brother. Was he there to beat up on you and to toughen you up and to sort of help create a path for you in sports? Yeah, you know, a little bit older, but it, it was it was more or less the neighborhood. You know, you, you grew up, you know, around the guys. And, and whenever you're the youngest guy, everyone would take your ball and play with it. And hopefully they would have, you know, a couple guys they needed. So they would just throw you in as needed. Um, but uh, it was it was just a great community. You know, everyone in, in, in the neighborhood really helped raise everybody. And, uh, you know, sisters and brothers definitely were extremely supportive. Uh, but uh, it, it was more like collectively of, of the community. Yeah. Did you have a favorite early on? You said it was, it was between football and basketball for you. Did you lean one way more than the other? Well, everyone always told me I was too short to play basketball. So, you know, I was, I was pretty good at basketball, but I wasn't, you know, you, you always in the back of your mind, you always felt that, hey, I'm 5'11", 5'10", 5'11". You don't have the height to play basketball. So it was always just a, hey, I love it. But football was going to be the opportunity to where I was able to go to college and play. Yeah. To play point guard? Yes. 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 Absolutely. You got to have a killer crossover. That was a, that was a definite back then. So when did you, Kevin, realize uh, with, with football, I'm better than the average kid who knows, maybe I could get a college education out of this. Well, I think it was probably my sophomore year. My, uh, my head coach at the time was like, you know, yo, Kevin, you, you're, you're pretty good at this thing, man. And if you can just work a little bit harder, you know, I think you can go and play college. So it was, it was in the back of my mind, but it was never, I never had any role models or people in the community to where you can actually pinpoint um, guys to say that, hey, here's a guy that you can use as a role model. Um, at that time, Troy Vincent and myself, you know, I started to know Troy Vincent. So Troy was from the same area I was. And, and you started to, you know, then at that point, I started to say, wow, Troy came from this area. Maybe I can, I can go to college and be like Troy. Um, but before then, it, it was myself and a guy named Gary Steeles, who went on to West Virginia, had a pretty a very productive NFL career. So we were like just two guys in the community who were, who were trying to find role models. And the only guy that we can actually look to was Troy. And um, so we were just trying to figure things out as we went. But my high school coach really was the guy who said, listen, if you just focus on this thing and put a little bit more attention to it, I think you'd be pretty special. Had you met Troy as a young adult or not until later? I met Troy one time and it was just like, you know, he was like the big guy on campus in a sense. And, and Troy was, you know, I was a young guy at that point. So Troy didn't really, you know, want to deal with young guys because he, you know, he was, he was a really good player. Um, and I was still probably, I think I was in the ninth grade at the time. He just was going to Wisconsin. And, um, but as I started to go to, you know, my junior and senior year, Troy was drafted at that point and he would come back. And he, you know, he would always say, hey, you want to work out? And so if Troy told you to be there at like 7 o'clock in the morning, you know, we were there like 6.30, like just ready to go. So it was, it was, it was something to really look up to. 
And um, so that was like the really only guy who really, you know, tried to help us out or really took us under his wing to, to, to give some guidance. What did that relationship mean to you? Well, it, it was great because it, it, it actually grew over the years. And um, Troy was just a guy who was a very professional guy, always handled himself in a first-class manner and was a really a good you know, example of a, of a guy to follow. So uh, it, the relationship always just grew and grew as, as years really passed. So, uh, you know, he's a good friend to this day. Did your, did your paths ever cross on the field in the NFL? Did you ever have to play against him? Yeah, so we, we played the Eagles uh, a couple times. And um, so it was weird because Troy and I would work out some during the offseason. And when we stepped on the field, you know, you, you take it serious, but you think that, all right, this is my buddy. So he, he's going to, you know, you know, take care of me when he can. But what he did was I turned my head one play and he, and he put a forearm in the back of my head. And I, I tell you, it was, it, was really, it was really all about business. So I think at that point, I took it so personal where I was trying to take him out after that. And it was, it was like, like, what the hell did you do that for? He said, listen, you have no friends when you step between these lines. And at that point, you really start to realize that this was truly a business and you must take it serious. So here he is now an opponent and he's still teaching you valuable lessons. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> that area of the state can be really tough. Right. And getting out of those streets just as tough right what was that push pull like for you kevin growing up in a single family home mm -hmm. where there probably wasn't the oversight and the guidance that some right. families are able to provide and the pull of those streets can be very very strong how were you able to navigate those waters and always stay on the right track well, I think it, it was more or less, you know, uh, my, my mother always told me, uh, you make your bed hard, you got to lay in it. And uh, I think when you, when you look at wanting to have something different and wanting to, you know, to live your best life and wanting to have things that, um, that, that you've never seen growing up, I think TV was a big, inspiring and, and important moment back then because you can watch TV and you say, wow, I don't, you know, I want to get out of my, my, you know, my standards today, I, I want better for my life. I want better for my, my future family. So you said, you know, it was weird. I was watching the show. You probably remember on ESPN, it's called Up Close. And, uh, and, and they had Dion on there. i never forget this. And Dion came on TV. I think I was probably a sophomore, freshman or sophomore. I was coming home from school. It was on like 334 o'clock. And Dion made a statement and he said, uh, he never drank or used drugs. He said, because his mom always told me if it was good for you, they would give it to you in school. So at that moment, I made a decision that, uh, and I reminded Dion to this, to this day, you know, I played with him in Baltimore, that, that that moment actually changed my life because I never drank or I never smoked a day in my life because it was, it was that moment to where if a, if a role model or a guy that you looked up to, like a Dion Sanders, you know, made the statement that, you know, using drugs or drinking alcohol wasn't good for you, then why would I do it? So again, to this date, I'm proud to say that I've never drank or smoked a day in my life. So, you know, those are, those are moments of your life that you can revert back to and say those were, those were, those were life-changing. Bridgestone knows you want the same thing from your tires as you do from the Cleveland Browns. Clutch performance when it matters most. So when unpredictable weather strikes, Bridgestone Taranza tires don't just handle wet conditions, they're built for them. 
They deliver with the unfazed confidence and quiet control of a clutch performer and make it look easy. Bridgestone, the official tire of the NFL. So you realize, um, man, I'm, I'm pretty good at this football gimmick. Um, did, when, did, when did it become a dream of yours, a, 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 an attainable dream? I'm going to play college football. I think my uh, end of my junior year. So one of the things I, I, I think that my high school coach did an outstanding job was he never allowed me to get caught up in the, in the college recruiting. So his, his, his whole mindset was, Kevin, you do, what you, you do what you're supposed to do. Everything else will take care of itself. So, you know, like nowadays, I didn't never got all the letters. He kept all those letters from me. He just tried to, he, he, he believed that if you stay focused and you take care of business every day, everything else will take care of itself. So, he, so, so at that point, after my junior year, the first school to come out to, to, to look at me was into my junior year was Clemson. And I was like, I was like excited because again, I didn't know anything. So he said, Kevin, you have tons of these letters. He said, but I believe if you just stay focused and you continue to, his thing was keep chopping wood, keep chopping wood every single day, everything will be there waiting on you. And, and I think at that point when Clemson came out to watch me into my junior year when I was running track, I think my re that reality, you know, became real to me. It says, hey, you have a pretty good chance of playing at the next level. Um, your high school coach sounds mm -hmm. like he was a mentor, father figure to you. Is that fair? Absolutely. And he was a white guy. Great guy. Very Great nice. Guy. Do you still have a relationship with him? Is he still with us? Absolutely. So he's, he's actually, his name is Dave Pruto, and he, was, he actually lives in Hawaii right now. So, um, and, and, it, and it's so weird. Another thing, so... Go, go back to our previous conversation. He, he sent me a text message probably about two weeks ago from his daughter at the time. And his daughter, his daughter sent his, her dad uh, a text message saying, Dad, I'm so happy that you let Kevin come to my, my school to have a black guy come to my school and, 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 and for, for like, it was, I forget the day it was, but she said that has such an impact on her. And she was one of the, the young ladies in her 20s out there protesting. And wow. it, it meant a lot to him, but he's still an important figure in my life today, but he's a great guy, great guy. Very nice. So you're getting all these letters. You don't even know you're getting them. At, at what point, Kevin, did you narrow your college choices down into how many and which, which schools? Well, so at the time I was getting so many letters and, and it, it, was, it was a lot, um, but I wanted to be within a five hour uh, radius from my house. so. And when, when, when I look at back at 92, 93, you know, Syracuse was really a, a, a really good school at that point, you know, playing at Carrier Dome, um, they had Marvin Graves at quarterback at the time. And, and a lot of the things that they did fit my tools. We ran the option, we ran, you know, ran a lot of things that had a, a mobile quarterback running and throwing. So it was Syracuse. I looked at Virginia Tech at the time. Um, so a lot of those schools that was outside at five hours, radius I didn't even entertain and Rutgers at the time was winning two games a year so that was never <laughs> going to be an option so Syracuse Syracuse checked all the boxes and and I was going to be an orange man. so what was that transition like for you Kevin going to Syracuse um first of all from a skill set standpoint at what point did you realize I'm not in high school anymore well it was weird so when I when I first got to Syracuse so so we had a very militant head coach, and it was Paul Pasqualoni. I'm talking. I about remember. He he was he was so militant. His whole his whole mentality was no facial hair, 
no earrings. And he, he, he was, it was two things that he believed in. And it was, he said, you will graduate and we will win. And that was it. Everything was about a business trip. Everything was, you know, focused and you're here for a reason. And I think having that structure really molded me to who I have become because I hated the guy. I mean, I, I hated the guy with a passion. He was a guy I really didn't like much because it was so many, it was so much structure. And he was a military kid and he was a military guy. So I, you know, I didn't get my first rep in practice until it was four weeks into, into camp. I mean, it, like, you know, okay, we recruited you, you're a, high, you're a highly recruited guy. So Donovan McNabb and myself took a knee for four weeks when we first arrived on campus. So, so it was like all of, the, all of the arrogance and ego that you think you're coming in here with, that was out the door. That didn't work with him. And he was just a player. So that, that, that's my first reality of college football. That was, that's a very militaristic approach to break down your ego and to recreate you. Looking back on it now, Kevin, and I know you said you despised him. Do you take any value from the things that you learned from doing it that way? Oh, it was, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was the best thing that ever happened to me because, you know, it, it gives you structure. It gives you routine. It gives you it gives you like, it's humble pie. It's, it's one of those things to where, you know, you know, when you have a lot of kids coming out of high school now, you know, you look at all of this stuff. Our world is set up right now for, for, for losers and quitters. Um, you know, something doesn't go my way is the coach's fault. You know, if, if, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't, if you get on campus and you don't get the plan time, well, I'm a transfer. So it allows you to, to give excuses uh, and blame someone else. So his mentality was, you're going to earn everything you get. You get Nothing's going to be handed out to you. And then you can actually look back and say, I deserve to have what I have because I put in the hard work and the dedication to reach my goal. So, so by going there and, and, and realizing that, listen, you're just a kid here. You're just a guy. You're not going to come on campus being a highly recruited guy, and I'm going to throw you to the front of the list because you know you're highly recruited and the world thinks you you've arrived already you're gonna to have to prove yourself to all your teammates and and then you'll get an opportunity now what you do with that opportunity is going to be left up to you so you're coming in with another very highly recruited quarterback and quickly right. it boils down to a quarterback competition between you and donovan mm -hmm. at what point did you realize that you may be the odd man out and that a position change may be in your future so watch this, Jay. We were, it was our, my redshirt freshman year. So we were playing North Carolina on, on, on Saturday night football. So coach Kevin Rogers came in to us, uh, said, listen, we're going to give the nod to Donovan. We're going to give the nod to Donovan. We're going to give Donovan three series. And if he doesn't, he, he said, we're going to give Donovan three series and Kevin, you're going to go on for the fourth series. So I was like, cool. You know, that's, that's fine with me because, you know, any type of competition you want someone else to get to go first, because if they go first, at least you know how the bar is going to be set. So I'm, I'm, I'm cool and collective. I'm feeling good about myself. And um, so the first two series, Donovan goes three and out. And the third series, he's in there, it's third down. And I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm ready to start warming up. And I'm going to say, all right, let me go out there and do my thing. Third down and 12, he hit Marvin Harrison on a 65-yard touchdown. And I've never seen the field. I, I'm still – I've never, ever seen the field, Jay. So – so I'm sitting there like, damn, when am I going to get my chance? And I never saw the field. And I, I became his backup, literally holding a clipboard for two more years. 
So I never got on the field to the bowl game of my Red Surf sophomore year when we were playing Clemson. And the only why I got into that game was Marvin Harris and I were best friends when, when I was in college. And Marv came to me during our bowl practice, said, hey, okay. He said, listen, if you have any chance of wanting to play in the pros, dude, you got to change your position of wide receiver. I said, he, he, he said, listen, you fast, you can catch. He said, and I'll work with you during the offseason because he was ready to go to the pros. And I was, I was so nervous. So during a bowl practice, I went into Coach P's office, and I was so scared because he's so militant. Coach P didn't even talk to nobody. Coach P, like, you were so nervous to talk to him because he was all about business. And so I said, hey, Coach, do you, I said, do you mind – if I think about moving a wide receiver, because I was so scared of this dude. And, um, and he said, he said, you know what, Kevin, you know, you know, that may not be a bad idea. I said, do you mind if I look at like doing special teams during the bowl practices to get familiar with it? Cause Marvin, Marvin said he will work with me because they would never yell at Marvin Harrison. Like they never said nothing to Marvin. So if you mentioned <laughs> Marvin's name, you got to pass. You yeah, right. got to pass. So he knew I was real close with Marv. So he said, okay, Kevin. So Marvin went into the office and said, yo, coach, you should let Kevin return kicks. So coach P would never yell at Marvin, right? So, so Marvin got me a chance to return the kickoff in, in, the, in a bowl game uh, against Clemson. And uh, so I, I'm in there studying tape all week to return just kickoffs, Jay, just kickoffs. So I got to return one kickoff in the, in the, in the, in the uh, bowl game. I think we played, we played Clemson in the Gator Bowl. Um, that was my first time hitting the, hitting the college field. Um, wow. As a redshirt sophomore for one play. That's a great story, though, and a great lesson, too. Yeah. To your earlier point, today's society is wired for guys to pull ripcord and bail. And, yeah, it was the coach's fault or whatever. You took your destiny into your own hands. You took the lead by going in to have a very difficult, difficult conversation. It changed your whole life. So watch this, Joe Jay. I was the highest recruited player my year when I came into Syracuse, and I was the last player to play of all the all the people in my recruiting class. Wow, crazy. So so it was so weird because again I had an ego. So my whole point was like, listen, I'm out of here if I'm not going to play. So you told me I was going to get a chance to play the fourth series. Never got a chance. Donovan is lighting it up. So, so I said, listen, I'm transferring. So my mom said, listen, she said, listen, you made your bed hard. You got to lay in it. She wow. Said, Figure it out. And so, you know what? I stayed there and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I love moms. That's great Absolutely. advice. Absolutely. That's, that is great advice. So then it was between your redshirt sophomore year and your junior year where you made the switch. Talk about that transition. So that offseason, again, Marv's training for the draft. So I'm working with Marv a little bit on just how to run routes and everything. So um, I knew, see, I knew what to do because I was a quarterback. So I always looked at, okay, I didn't know how to run routes, but I knew who would get the ball just based on my knowledge of the quarterback position. So my junior year, I never even started as a junior. So I was a third receiver as a junior. I, I, I split time with, with a guy named Daryl Daniels as, as a third receiver at my junior year. So um, made the transition and, you know, I'm trying to figure it out. But Donovan and I was real close, you got to understand, because I was, I was still his backup 
because I knew everything, but I was just playing wide receiver because they had to pacify me a little bit because I was, I was, a, I was a good kid. I was doing all the right things and, and, and I was a good athlete. So, and I always knew what he was thinking because we were, I still sat in the quarterback meeting rooms every day. So, so every time I would line up, I, I would, I would actually leave the huddle early because I can read the signals from the sideline. I knew what the play was and I knew what his reads were. So me and Diamond would look at me, I would look at him. And I'm like, what the hell are you checking for? That's not the right check. Or I would wave him off because I knew what he was looking at. So he and I had that connection because we still sat next to each other in the meeting rooms. And we, we, was, we, were, we were great friends because we, we sat next to each other in meeting rooms. I was still going to the quarterback meetings and I knew what he was thinking or what his reads were. So it made me an easy target or I knew where to be at on the field to get the football. How long after you made the switch, Kevin, did you feel comfortable and also feel like maybe I can be good at this level, at this position? Well, I think towards the end of my junior year, uh, I started to feel a little bit more comfortable and the coaches started to realize that I can, I can catch the ball really well. Like I had really good hands and I, I caught the ball really well. So in the off season of my junior year, the, the pro scouts came in and we, we had like that pro day. And I ran the 40 and I ran like a 4-4-2-40. And, and then like the, the college's eyes started to light up a little bit. And, and, and so at that point, they said, whoa, the kid, was, the kid can run. And let me go back to one point. So beginning of my junior year, we played Wisconsin in the kickoff classic. And, and again, remember, I was returning kicks and punts because Marv got me, in, got me a little bit of pull in there. So we played Wisconsin in the kickoff classic and I ran the opening kickoff back for a touchdown. So that, so that was the first game of college football. So, so Kevin Johnson's name was, was like in college football because I had opened it up with a kickoff return for a touchdown. So at that point, leaving my junior year, going into my senior year, I ran a 4-4-40. So now the college scouts said, wow, this kid can run. And then I started to become more comfortable, you know, in the offseason with Donovan and understanding the wide receiver position. And I started college football one year and I was drafted the 32nd overall. To Pretty impressive, man. Yeah. Pretty yeah. impressive. And for a guy that switched positions, you were always known as that hands, the possession type receiver. You could catch the football. It's rare for someone to make this, that, that change so late in their college career and still be able to, pardon the pun, get your hands around it. Well, if you, if you realize, and it's like a hidden secret, and I think people don't really pay attention, quarterbacks is always catching the football because they're always playing catch. Every if time you think they throw it, it, they gotta catch it. You gotta catch it. So, so it was a natural thing of catching a football. And and for me, it was like, okay, I don't really know what to do in college, but if I just catch the football, that's just that's a good start. And then you started to really learn the in and outs of the position, and things just started to you know you know come together for me. And it, and it, it was a it was a it was a great story, and it was a great you know story about perseverance and just hanging in there and sticking with things. And it, and it really, you know, just helped me throughout the rest of my life and into my, my career, you know, as well as football, as well as post-football. Post you had mentioned track earlier. What was your experience in track and field? Well, I just ran track to really stay in shape for football. And I really had no form. It just was something just to keep you going in the springtime as you get ready for the football season. I ran right. 100 and 200, um, just like a lot of athletes did around that time. You doing long jumping? Actually, I did. Actually, I, I did. I did pretty good. I, did, I, I long jumped 23-1 in high school. So that was that was pretty good back then. 
my son holds the New Jersey and the Rutgers long jump records. Wow, that's great. Yeah, c- consider, considering Carl Lewis also jumped in New Jersey, that's, that's a pretty, uh, you know, he, Carl's from down in South Jersey. Nice. Um, yeah, he, uh, that, it put him, put him at Rutgers, and he's still training for the Olympics now. That's outstanding. Congratulations. Um, thank you. So when, when you're, like, if you want to make a splash in your senior year, no better way to do it than the first play of the season. Now you're on everybody's radars. Um, right. At what point did you start hearing, Kevin, that you're going to be not just a, a draft pick, but you're going to be a potential first-round draft pick? Well, well it's, it's weird because Coach Pasqualoni hated NFL. He hated the NFL. He didn't want to hear that word come out of anyone's mouth. And, and, and so, so you, you could never bring it up. So he was the same way. He didn't want to talk about pro football. His whole thing was, you know, if you handle your business, everything else will take care of itself. And, he, and, you know, and, and it, was, it was, you know, every weekend was a business trip. And you go out there, and handle your business, and, and, and everything else will take care of itself. So I think midway through the season, Donovan started to, you know, he was a Heisman Trophy candidate. And he started to really, you know, you know, open my eye. He said, you okay. You know, a lot of these agents asking me about you. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? He said, yo, you know, you, you going up people's draft boards. And I was like, really? So at that point, I, you know, I'm always in his ear because we really sat next to each other every single day. So just imagine, you know, you going to college at 17 years old and four or five years later, you've been sitting next to the same guy for five years in a row, like every single day, all day. He becomes your brother. It's like you, you, you walk in a room, you don't even have to talk to him because you see him every day. It's like, that's what you expect. And you're just such good friends because you know him because that's all you know. Now we're 21, 22 years old. And it's like, you know, like we can just be honest. I said, yo, you better start throwing me the damn ball more. Like I, I would like, I can talk to him like honest, like, yo, I'm open. I, I was never covered. Always throw me the ball. And um, so he was like, all right, we're going to do this thing together. And um, so, you know, he just was like force feeding me. Every chance he gave me the football, he was throwing me the football. So it was great. What was your draft day experience like? It was weird. So, so Donovan was, um, he, he was calling me all the time because, you know, it was a pretty good chance that the Eagles were going to draft him at number two. So, so he already knew, everyone knew Couch was going to the Browns at one. And everyone knew, like, at that point that Donovan was going to get drafted to the Eagles. So the night before the draft, he's calling me saying, yo, you know, I'm going to get drafted by the Eagles. They're already working on my contract, so on and so forth. And he said, I think the Eagles, are, you know, may look to take a wide receiver. He said, um, I don't know if you will be there. He said, but they may trade up to get you. I said, really? So I'm getting excited thinking, you know, being from New Jersey, and I know he's going to Philly, like, I'm going home to play. And um, so before the draft, I, was, I, was, I went to visit, you know, the Atlanta Falcons, the Miami Dolphins, the Seattle Seahawks, the Dallas Cowboys. So I thought it was a pretty good chance that I would be selected anywhere between 17 and 25. And um, so draft day comes, and, and I'm at home with my family. And about pick number 10, I got nervous. I left the house. And I'm like, God, man, this is crazy because your anxiety is, is building up. Um, Seattle Seahawks called me at 17 and said, hey, how do you feel like being a Seattle Seahawk? I said, I feel great. Never heard from them again, you know. And it's like, oh, <laughs> Who did they draft? Um, I, I think they drafted a defense end from North Carolina. I forget his name. So, 
So then the best call I got was from the Dallas Cowboys. It was, they called me at pick 20 and they said, uh, hey, Kevin, uh, we were really going to draft you, but I think they had an issue with Leon Lett. I can't remember. He got suspended or something. And they said, listen, we got to draft the D lineman, but you were going to be our pick. But, you know, you know, we can't draft you now. We're going to go defensive line. So that was nice. So at that point, I got a call from the Miami Dolphins. And they said, yo, Kevin, um, you feel like coming to South Florida? I said, I would love to come to South Florida. Never heard from them since. And same thing with Atlanta. I got a call from Atlanta. They were picking 30. And um, they said, yo, Kevin, we're looking to put our pick in. Would you, would you like to come down to Atlanta? I told you, you know, if you were on the board, we we're going to pick you. Never heard from them again. That's so, got to be mine now. Oh, man. I, I was so pissed off. So the, um, the, uh, the, the Denver Broncos had the last pick, and I knew I wasn't going to Denver. So at that point, I was, I was sort of pissed off because I heard from like four or five teams, and, and no one selected me. So then uh, Chris Palmer calls me at, at, at 32, and I answered the phone. I'm like, no, no, the Cincinnati Bengals called me. And Cincinnati had the pick after Cleveland. They said, yo, Kevin, uh, we're going to pick you with our next pick. And I said, I said, okay. They said, you don't sound excited. I said, man, I just heard from about four or five different teams, and they told me the same thing. So I, I said, I'll see it when I believe it. I said, I believe it when I see it. So at that point, as soon as I hung up the phone with Cincinnati, Chris Palmer calls me. He said, hey, Kev, how are you? I said, good, how are you? He said, uh, we're, we're handing in our card right now to pick you. I said, whatever, man. I said, whatever. He said, what are you talking about? And then he put the white clock on the phone. He said, hey, Kev, you know, congratulations. You're going to be at Cleveland Brown. I said, whatever. I said, he said, what's wrong? I said, I just heard from five different teams about them picking me. And as I was saying that, they were announcing it. And I was like, whoa. And so it was like <laughs> also a real moment. So that's how draft day went. That's a great story. So what was your introduction to Cleveland like? What was your first impression? It was great. I think I, I flew in that evening um, and, you know, you have fans at the airport. It, it, it was great. Didn't know, didn't really know the history and the fan base of Cleveland prior to getting there. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal fan base, phenomenal fans. Um, and just to see the passion and having the Browns back into Berea and Cleveland was, was unbelievable. I mean, they showed so much support um, every weekend coming out there, supporting us when we were losing. I think it was just a great experience. When I asked this question earlier about that transition from high school to college and your first thoughts, I'll ask it again now, college to the NFL. What was your first impression after that first workout difference between pro and, and college? It well, well minicamp started and, you know, being a new team, it wasn't a lot of history. So everyone was really, you know, feeling ourselves through the process. Um, I think once training camp started, we started training camp early, like the middle of July. We went four straight weeks of doubles. We, we, we practiced so much. I'm talking about the damn, your damn hamstrings felt like they were like elastic. Like if you moved wrong, you was going to rip a muscle. So when you look at the game today, it's totally different. Like, they don't even hit today. Um, I mean, we, we had so many doubles. The only day we had off was Sunday. And it, it, was, it was, like, brutal. I mean, it was, it was freaking brutal. But uh, it, it, was, it was just tough. I mean, that was just football. 
So the workload was immense. What about the difference in skill sets? Were you, were you awed by the skill set of the defenses? Where, where were you on that? It was, it was just so much faster. Everything happened so much quicker. And it was, it was, it's like what, what open was, what was open in college, what wasn't, wasn't even close to what was open in the NFL. So, and, and it, it, the speed of the game was so much faster, understanding the scheme, the amount of plays that you're going to the line of scrimmage with, and you're playing with grown men. I mean, you're playing with guys who are 34, 35 years old, who had kids who were in middle school and going to high school. It, it was, it was just a different environment. It was, it was, it, it's something you can't even, you know, uh, explain. It is so difficult nowadays to, to really understand the, the age gap of, of, of some of these younger players entering pro sports now. It's, it's scary, to be honest with you. It's really a different generation sometimes. between Tom Brady's in his, almost in his mid-40s. He's going to be throwing the football to guys in his early 20s. Right. So, he could be their parents. Absolutely. So think about that. So when you when you look at that 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 age gap and the wisdom and knowledge that is that that he has to adapt to what 18, well, say 19 to 20 year olds are actually what is their what, what do they like to do? What, what, are, what do they don't like to do? The things that they're that they want to look at every day. You know, that's a learning curve all in and of itself. And just the entitlement of this younger generation is just, is mind boggling. Very well said, <laughs> because it is. They, they, they expect to wake up on third base, not oh. realizing you gotta, you gotta go station to station. You can't just Absolutely. be on third base. Absolutely. Bridgestone knows you want the same thing from your tires as you do from the Cleveland Browns. Clutch performance when it matters most. And when you need maximum grip for confident cornering, Bridgestone Potenza tires aren't just up for the job, they're built for the job. With the tread design engineered for any twist and turn the road may throw your way. Bridgestone, official tire of the NFL. Kev, um, take us through, though, that, that really that first year when things were tough, obviously. The, the expansion rules had changed so dramatically that they went the other direction. So when Jacksonville came in and Carolina came in, they were given a lot of benefits, and within three years, they're both in a conference championship game. So when the Browns are set up, the, all, the, the existing teams are saying, wait a minute, we can't pave the road to, you know, with gold for, the, for, for a new team. So you guys got dinked. I mean, it was very difficult for the Cleveland Browns. What was that first season like? You know, looking back at it, it was, it was, it was so tough because, you know, you, you never had um, – I guess the lack of lack of better words is great role models. Like we we got the worst of what other teams didn't want, and 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 we 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 didn't have a, a really good transition to people to teach you what to do. We were trying to figure things out on our on our own, um, and and it was it was a, it was tough because we're we're willing to go out there and work hard, but you just don't know what you don't know until you make the mistake. So you have a, a young quarterback and, and Tim Couch. You have me as a young receiver. We don't know any better. We're, we're, he's working, you know, he's working with a, a makeshift offensive line. Um, we have young players all over the board, and 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 winning winning is contagious. And when you're not used to winning, or 
that that attitude is not in a locker room. It's hard, um, and and we just never could get it together. And so we don't know what to say. We're young guys, so we we can't really say much because again, you have guys who are 30, 31 years old in there. So it's like, well, we're not supposed to say anything because they're the veterans, and we're supposed to not know. Um, it, it was just a tough transition year one. I've had conversations with Lomas Brown's a good friend of mine. Tim is a good friend of mine. I had many conversations with both those guys about how things might have been different for Tim had he been drafted by an established team, even if it was a bottom of the barrel team because they were picking early in the draft. Just the fact that it was an expansion team and the NFL had made it so difficult on the Browns, it really changed the trajectory of his career, particularly when they put him in that drop back offense and just let him get teed off on so many times. I've also thought about your career, Kevin, and the skill set that you possessed. And you were able to have very productive years in those four years in Cleveland. When the deck was stacked against you, have you ever thought about what, how your career might have been different had you, been, had you actually been drafted by Miami, who had said they were going to pick you, or any of these other teams that had called you and said, we want to call your name, even the Cowboys, for crying out loud. Well, well. Personally, and, 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 you know, from my situation, I get really pissed off because, you know, you look at guys on TV who they say can really play. I don't think they can, they're really that good, some of the guys I see nowadays. But when you're throwing a ball 50, 60 times a game, of course you're going to have five or six catches. I mean, if you think about it, Tim and I were out there, two rookies. I mean, you know, we're trying to figure it out. My first year, I had like 60-something catches. My second year, think about this. I had like seven quarterbacks my second year, like seven or eight quarterbacks. And, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, nothing against those guys. They went out there and they played hard. And Doug Peterson, who was a friend of mine, Doug P- Petey was a quarterback. He got hurt. Couch got hurt. I mean, it was, we, we were down to like our seventh string quarterback who we were signing off the streets who were in there on Sunday playing. And I, I was to there, had a horrible year and I had 57 catches with seven quarterbacks. And, and when you look at today with guys throwing a ball all over the field, I got it. Like if I, if I was in a, in a different situation and had more veterans around me who can actually teach me the ropes, who knows where I would, what I, where I would end up. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, and I'm sure the temptation to think about that um, would be overwhelming. I don't know how you wouldn't. Um, okay, so the play. And right. you know what I'm talking about. I want you, Kevin, to take me through the entire ordeal. What was going on before the play, in the huddle, during the play, after the play? It's it's one of my most favorite visual memory. I've been a fan since birth. But that play, because it was that inaugural season and it was the monkey off the bat, it's one of my favorite visuals as a Browns fan. Take us through the whole thing. Well, you know – it's, it's so much – it's not as it's not as glorified as the play was. It was just Hail Mary Wright, you know, and, and it was so weird because if you watch the play over and over, everyone remember Orlando Brown's Zeus. Zeus, get, Zeus was getting into it with the, with the left, ta- left defense in all game. So if you rewatch the play, Zeus tomahawk elbows the guy in the back of the head if you rewatch the play. If you really watch it closely and watch the right tackle – Zeus like just comes down with an elbow on a guy's head. So Zeus was in the huddle. He was just happy to get one more play because he could just torture this guy. And so 
I'm just, it's just a Hail Mary. So you just run down to me. My thing was run down, get into the middle of the end zone and, 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 and wait for a tip ball. And, and so what Couch did was he did an excellent job of buying some time and, and he rolled to the right. And, and, you know, you just, I'm just running downfield. I'm looking through the jumbotron and trying to see where Couch is. So I'm just running, running, looking through the jumbotron. And I actually can see Couch let the football go. So I'm just running, trying to position myself because I know the football's in the air. And it just, you just reacted and just caught the football. And it, it was just an amazing, also real moment because it happened so fast. And next thing I know, I'm at the bottom of a pile and I can't breathe. And it's just, it's just unbelievable that, 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 that it happened the way it happened. I've talked to many guys that have been involved in Hail Mary passes, either on the throwing end, the receiving right. end. And I've even talked to some that were on the heartbreaking defensive back end. Right. They all have one thing in common. They know that play can work, right. but they also know the odds are completely against it working. So I, they all say when we broke the huddle, we didn't think, it, you know, we thought the game was over essentially, but you got to try it. You got to, you know, make that one last chance. Talk about the swing of emotions in that 20 second span before the play when you, when you're thinking, yeah, there's a chance to when you actually stand up and the ball is in your arms and you're like, Oh my God, we did it. What is that like? Well, Jay, you don't think it's going to work. Remember, we haven't won a game yet. So this is normal. This is normal. We're going to, we're going to get down there. We're going to lose again. So it was never, we had no history or no data to say, hey, this is going to work. There's nothing in our, in our, in our history so far that said we're going to win. So we're going to play it out. We're still competitors and we're going to play hard. But there's, this is not going to work. So we're going to, we're going to give it all the best efforts. And Zeus is going to beat down the left defense end. And, we're going to hear about that in the locker room and we're going to play it out. But when it worked, it was, it, it was just like, like a lot of things that just came off your shoulders because, you know, guys really were working hard. I mean, we were going to work every day, like every other team. And, and it was like, why can't we win a game? Like we're not, we can't be that bad. It's no way that we're that bad. And uh, so when we, when we got that victory, it just was like a lot of weight that came off our shoulders. What was it like in the locker room? Because after, by that point, you've had a little bit of time to process it. And I imagine it was just this huge celebration. But what was, what was it like in the locker room after that game? Well, we finally got a win. We're not, the, we're, we're not that we're, – we're horrible, but we're not that horrible. At least we got a, we got a, a W in a win column. So it, it, was just a, it was just a great feeling because the way it happened and, – and, again, we hung in there. We never quit. And we just kept trying to, you know, to, to, to win a game. And, and I think it just gave people hope that if we just continue to plug away, you know, we can, we can make some good things happen. How is it possible that that was more than 20 years ago? That's scary. That is, that is so scary because um, um, it's amazing how much time has passed. And, and, and it's, it's just amazing. Like, like I'm really feeling old when you say 20 years, like that's amazing. Um, but you know, it was, it was, it was a great, great time. It met, met a lot of great people, man. And Cal's being one of them. Um, it was a great time. The fans showed their love for you every Sunday when you were home, took the field. Um, what would you like to say to the fans that supported you during your years here in Cleveland? Continue being the best. I mean, you know, those guys go out every week and support their, the, the team. Um, I think they're one of the best fan bases of any of any sports team. It gives it gives the players a lot, a lot of confidence. It makes them feel good, you know, you know, win, lose or draw that you have that type of fan bases out there supporting you 
play after play, week after week. And, and I think right now Cleveland has definitely experienced enough, you know, bad days. And I, I, I got to believe that, that the better days are, 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 are right in the, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, in right in front of them. I mean, you got some great players. I mean, to me, you got Odell and you got Landry. I mean, th those two guys can go get it. I'm big fans of theirs and, uh, you know, they, they do it well. Although I still feel I catch the ball better than Odell, and that's still an argument to be set. So, so we can we can we we can have that discussion any day of the week. I love that. And and to your point that they're due some good luck from your lips to God's ears. Right. Uh, let's certainly hope that's the case. Um, your time in Cleveland came to such an abrupt end. Right. Um, I think we probably have to talk about all of that I, was that a butch davis issue what what it just was over all of a sudden you're gone well i think i think you know that's a, that's a great question too um i think when butch got there i think chris palmer was was really um i don't know if he got a fair shake or he wasn't qualified for the job I mean, you can look at it either way either you should either you should have gave him more time you should have never hired him but giving a guy two years for an expansion team is, is not enough I think when you when you bring in a Butch Davis um, and, and a Pete Garcia, you are bringing in a, a college mentality, and and you're bringing in that mentality of again beat them down, beat them down, beat them down. And again, we went through that our first year already, and we knew that didn't work. So after when Butch Davis first arrived, I was on a trading blocks. So he tried to trade me to 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 the to the Kansas City Chiefs. So I heard about that. I'm like damn, what the hell am I getting traded for? And, and, and it sort of, you know, selfishly, it left a bad taste in my mouth because, hell, you know, I felt, you know, I've never missed a game. I started every single game since I've been there. And, and I'm out there, you know, giving it my very best. I mean, we're not winning, but I'm giving it my very best. And, and I'm doing everything within my abilities. And, and the whole thing was, well, he, he, he doesn't have a lot of top and speed. Okay, but I was still getting open and I was doing what I needed to do. So go, so, so go draft some guys with top-end speed. Then. Jerry Rice didn't have a lot of top-end speed. Well, well, right, and, and I, was, I think what I was doing, I think I was, I was giving the very best that I could. And, um, and, and it left a sour taste in my mouth um, as to what he was doing. And, 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 and I think some of the things that he did, like when you start to create relationships with players on the team, um, he cut Eric Rett. When he, he, he told Eric Rett to, to break the team down, he cut Eric Rett. Um, he was just doing things that just wasn't with some integrity. I mean, it just wasn't professional. And, and, and again, um, I wear my emotion on my sleeve. And it's like, like you, you just treat people like you don't care. And even though it's about winning, but you've got to have some integrity when you're, when you're handling business. And, and um, you know, I was having success. And, and we were just starting to butt heads, uh, uh, Butch Davis, myself, and Bruce Aarons. We started to butt heads. And it, it was like, like, listen, like, I'm, I'm not going to uh, allow you guys to talk to me like um, um, I'm not a productive player and I'm giving you everything I got. And I think, I think when he cut me the way he cut me, I think that was the beginning to the end of Butch Davis because you couldn't validate how can you just cut a guy who was your most productive player and you didn't get anything for him. I mean, at least trade him. But it just right. goes to show you that he felt he was bigger than the league. And that he was just going to do things. And he was, I think guys quit on him after that. I really do. It was, it did seem like that was, I mean, things were already going the wrong direction, right. but they seemed to go, it was circling the drain a lot quicker 
particularly right. because, you know, of all the problems on the team, and there were many, right. and they were obvious. Um, right. Not many would, would point to you as being one of them, and then it was over. And you had some good productive years after Cleveland, and then I believe it was an, was it an Achilles injury that ended, ended things for you? So watch this, Jay. So, so watch this. So when I got cut, I, um, I went to Jacksonville, but there was already – You were claimed by practically every team in the league, I think. Yeah so, 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 yeah, so so look at this. I wanted to go to Baltimore. So I wanted to go to Baltimore because it was closer to New Jersey. So Ray Lewis and myself was on the phone and we were talking or Zeus was in, in, in Baltimore at the time. So, but the only way I can get to Baltimore was um, through Jacksonville and, and the guy Shaq, who was the general manager at the time, was the general manager at Jacksonville. So him and Ozzy had discussed that, you know, that they would, they would want to trade me to, Jack, to, to Baltimore. And again, he had so, worked under Ozzy, right? Yes, he worked under Ozzy and he, and he went to Jacksonville. So, again, Ray Lewis was like, hey, come here. We, you know, we need a wide receiver and playing against Baltimore twice a year. It was like, you know, it would be a good fit. But again, not knowing they had a rookie quarterback again named Kyle Bowler. It was like, oh my God. It was like, it was the worst scenario ever. And it was like, it just didn't work. It was like, you know, we could, defense was phenomenal, offense couldn't score any points. So I had actually had conversations with uh, Jeff, Jeff Garcia. And Jeff Garcia was going to uh, Detroit. So Terry Rubisky, who was actually still in, in, on the Cleveland staff, I said, hey, hey, Terry, you think you can – he knew Matt Millen really well from his days in, in, with the Raiders. So Terry gave Matt Millen a call, and, I, and, and Matt was saying, hey, you know, we'll take you. You, you come here and you play for us, Kevin. You know, we don't need you to be a starter. We need you to teach these young guys how to play. And they right. had Charles Rogers, Mike Williams, and Roy Williams. I so, remember that. I remember and I that. Said, Wait, I said, listen, I'm not coming there to sit the bench. I want to. I think I can start. He said, listen, if you start, that will be a bonus. He said, we just need you to come here and be a great locker room guy and teach these young guys how to play. I said, but what if I start? He said, if you start and you come do your thing, Kevin, I don't mind giving you a long term deal. I said, okay, cool. So Terry worked it out, and a good guy. T- and, and I was talking to Matt, and my agent worked it out that I signed with uh, Jeff Garcia, who's going to be the quarterback with, with Steve Mariucci, and I signed with uh, De- um, Detroit. So watch this, Jay. So I get there by week three, week four, I'm starting. So me and Roy Williams is starting. So Matt came and said, Kevin, listen, you've done everything we've asked of you. He said, I'm leading the team in catches and everything. Everything's going great. Do you realize we come back to Cleveland? Check this out, Jay. And I ripped my Achilles in Cleveland, and I never played another game in football. How was that for a storybook ending? Well, I'm surprised you can even say the word Cleveland with, and still have a smile on your face. <laughs> Post-career, you've had nice success. You have this super gym in New Jersey that's been very successful. And um, talk a little bit about your post-football career and your family as well to wrap it up. So wrap it up. I got into real estate development. I, I'm in a, I, I built a health club, which is 120,000 square feet in New Jersey. I also own uh, about four or five medical office buildings that are approximately about four or 500,000 square feet. So I, I, I've, I've been doing fairly well in business development. So I, I probably built a, over a hundred million dollar company since I, since I left pro football. And um, again, you know, my humble beginnings of, of going to college, you know, going through that hard times is, is the way my, my whole post NFL career, you know, hard time learning something new, grinding and, 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 and plugging away. And once you start to, you know, figure it out, you know, you have success. And it's been a blessing in disguise. Wife, married with a wife and three kids. 
um, two boys and a little girl. So, you know, life is good. I can't complain. Um, um, I've been, I've been extremely blessed, man. Like I said, you know, I always tell people when you're, when you're 15, 16 years out of, uh, no, it's about, about 14 years out and you still can buy a Rolls Royce and Bentleys and you're doing pretty well. So, you know, um, I've been, I've been extremely blessed. Uh, you know, God has been good. Well, you've earned all of it. Um, as your mom said, if you make your bed hard, you have to lay in it. You've made a soft bed for yourself and you get to sleep like a king because of it. It was great catching up, Kevin. Um, some wonderful stories. Thank you so much for taking time to share them with us. We really appreciate it. All right, guys, let's do it again, Jay. You guys have a great one. Yep, absolutely. And to you at home, thank you for watching another edition of Club 46, driven by Bridgetone. We hope to see you next week when we have another edition. Until then, I'm Jay Crawford. We'll see you soon.